Hello and welcome to another episode of Questions and Answers. We are going through the major prophets of the Bible. And the the overall question was, who were the prophets and what do they prophesy about? And again, we mentioned about how there are 85 or so prophets in the Bible. We're mainly looking at the major, the minor prophet books in the Old Testament, as well as uh, the only book in the New Testament. Uh, but before I go on, um, we're going to talk about Jeremiah. Last week, we talked about Isaiah. But we have a very special guest with us this week, uh, Dr. Brandon DuPont. Uh, he's a pastor of Northside Baptist Church in Bassett, Virginia. We're, we're looking here at um, the, the major prophets. And this question comes from Michael um, in Sierra Leone, Africa. And he's asking about the prophet Jeremiah. So again, Jeremiah, he is a major prophet. And um, Brother Brandon, if you would, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jeremiah and who he was? Sure, I'd be glad to. Jeremiah was actually a, a very interesting um, person to study in Scripture. When you look at uh, the situation, the circumstances surrounding his ministry, um, Jeremiah began his ministry uh, around the 13th year of King Josiah, which Josiah was the last godly king in Jerusalem or Judea there, uh, the two southern kingdoms after the nation had split. Um, this prophecy would have took place approximately 60 years after the death of Isaiah. So the northern kingdom has already been judged. They've already been sent into captivity. Uh, the southern kingdom is, is knocking on the door of captivity. They've gone and they've rebelled against God. Uh, he starts his um, ministry there with, like I said, a godly king. But after the death of Josiah, it very quickly declined. Um, the name of Jeremiah, uh, the name Jeremiah is a very, very interesting name. Several things that you can look at it. it um, several things that it, that it means there. God the exalted one is one name there. Uh, another one that you can look at is uh, Jehovah will rise. And then there's another, um, when you speak of it there, it's, it's uh, actually the name Yahweh throws. And all three of those interpretations are actually perfect for the, the message that Jeremiah is going to give uh, to the nation of, of uh, Israel or the, the southern tribes or Judah. Uh, God is the exalted one. He is the one, even though uh, the tribes of, of Judah, the two southern tribes, are going into idolatry. Uh, God is still going to be exalted. Uh, the Bible is very clear. God is not mocked. Um, when he comes to this place and this judgment is coming, though, he gave them ample time and opportunity to repent. Uh, that judgment was going to come and he would be exalted. And uh, when it says Jehovah will rise, uh, again, the same meaning there, although uh, it seemed like at the time Jehovah was quiet, uh, God keeps an accurate record there. Israel had rebelled against him. Uh, again, in uh, approximately uh, between 725 and 750, uh, looking at the different dates there, you would have seen the captivity of, of the northern tribe of Israel. Uh, six, uh, when you get down to 606 to six, uh, excuse me, 606, and then again in 586 BC, you would have seen the captivity of the southern tribes there. But God was on the rise there. Now, uh, the name Yahweh throws is a very interesting name. Uh, the fact that He throws there, speaking of the fact that He's going to uh, throw out all the perversity of the idol worship, of the idol practices. He's going to judge those things. And the name Yahweh, uh, is that, that's another interesting name just to touch on because that was actually a substitute name uh, for the name Jehovah. The, the name was so highly reverent in uh, the nation of Israel at the time that it would not, um, that they usually preferred not to say that. Matter of fact, with the, the translators, the scribes of the scripture, um, whenever they were to write the name Jehovah, they had the practice that they would actually get up and, and uh, bathe themselves and change their clothes and then come back and and uh, they would do that practice as many times as they wrote that name which was actually 
like you said, a, a very interesting practice, shows a great reverence there. Uh, but this man, Jeremiah, several, several things stand out. First of all, um, you look at his ministry. He is a man that had about 40 years worth of, of prophecy and, and worth of work there, and not a single convert. Um, this was a time of, of great rebellion. This was a time of, of people uh, with very hard hearts that had turned to sin, that had even chosen sin. And we'll look at that uh, later on in the broadcast when we get to it. Uh, but this was a man that also held the office of uh, both prophet and priest. That is a pretty rare thing uh, when you see in Scripture. There's only a few men that have held that. Um, no man in the Old Testament, apart from uh, Melchizedek, that we find all the way back in the book of Genesis, uh, ever held the, uh, the all three offices of prophet, priest, and king. That's reserved only for Christ. Uh, a lot of people believe Melchizedek to be a, a pre-incarnate um, form of Christ. But when you look at uh, prophet and, and priest, it's, it's a tremendous work there. This, this was something, uh, God had a very special work for this man. Uh, he was called uh, from a very young age. He was chosen or ordained, foreordained before his birth uh, for this purpose. And again, his, his work, um, it, it was, you and I would look at it in many ways today, and we would look at it and say that uh, by worldly standards, Jeremiah was a failure. Um, again, no converts ended up in uh, dying outside of his, his own country, uh, really, you look at it and you think, did he accomplish um, anything for the Lord? But in, in all honesty, uh, God used him in a tremendous way, and he was able to accomplish a great amount, though uh, the people wouldn't receive it. He was still very faithful in his work. So as I said, just an introduction to the man, very, very, uh, very faithful man. What a, a tremendous servant, um, just a tremendous ministry that he continued to do. Uh, one other thing about him, he is often referred to, he's the author of the book of, of Lamentations also, and he is often referred to as the weeping prophet. The, the reason for that, uh, that, that he was referred to, that he was called the, the weeping prophet there, uh, is because he, he felt very deeply um, both Israel's rejection of God and God's judgment of Israel. Both of those things bothered him greatly. Uh, so he was, he was very moved by that work there. But um, that, that's just a, basically an uh, oversight of, of the person of Jeremiah. Yeah, and his, his, message, his message broke his own heart. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, as uh, as we know, he was uh, he had a trembling voice. Um, he was, you know, tear-filled eyes, and and God chose him. Um, and he he even wanted to leave the ministry, right? But uh, God God wouldn't let him do that. Um, I do want to go back real quick. You had mentioned about the two tribes, um, and that is something very important when we're looking at the the minor and the major prophet prophecies uh, prophets there. Um, that we look at the uh, the northern and the southern kingdom. So, um, the southern kingdom, uh, you you mentioned there about how Jeremiah was prophesying, and that the the northern kingdom had just went into captivity uh, by the Assyrians. Well, one thing about Jeremiah, the southern kingdom had gotten so bad. And remember, out of the the twenty rulers, eight of those, eight of the twenty were godly. And as you mentioned, the last one passed away that was godly. And Isaiah had had preached um, about how they were to, you know, to, to get back to the Lord, to, to resist the Babylonians. But now Jeremiah, who's been calling, called a traitor by his own people, his own family, because he's saying to submit to them, uh, pretty much to the point because they were so ungodly, they were so wicked they had gotten to the point where all there was to do was resist. Absolutely. Touching on that, when you look at it, um, 
they had gotten to the place where that, that submission was going to be the carrying out of God's will. They had gone so far that judgment had to come. Uh, that nation had gone away from God and had rebelled against God. And they had even seen, uh, mentioning the, the 10 northern tribes, they had even seen the example and the judgment that was brought upon them. That wasn't something that was foreign to them. They would have seen that. I've been very up close and, and personal with those 10 tribes being uh, deported and taken under the uh, Assyrian captivity. So them ignoring that made that, that process even worse, made the judgment even worse, and made it more uh, even more necessary. Uh, we look at that. Um, there, there are several of the, the prophets there that have talked about uh, the 70-year the captivity. Daniel, uh, Daniel is one of them. We know he speaks of it. Um, Jeremiah is one that mentions it specifically. Uh, there was a, a period of time, that, that 70 years, that had to be carried out, uh, and there was no way around it. That is, uh, that, that's almost... Um, confusing if you don't know the background of it but that's the reason that god is telling them through this prophet to go ahead and submit and one one thing too to to note as as we're moving on here is it's kind of hard to um look at an outline of this book because uh, there's really no logical or, or chronological order given to it um but but he does he he um he prophesies to judah he prophesies to jerusalem and he he prophesies uh, during a lot of different uh, reigns of different kings. Uh, let's talk just a, a little bit about um, how kind of how he was uh, beaten by his his family, his community. It just and you had touched on it earlier, just about how he did not have one convert. Well, he was as you said, he was seen as a traitor. Um, sin always hardens the heart. And it's, it's obvious from the reading there that not only the people around him, but even his own family uh, were wrapped up in that same sin, the idolatry there. It, it's always been, um, I, I don't want to necessarily say the determining factor, but it's always been one of the um, absolute pinnacles of sin there. When you look at uh, God's judgment upon Israel, when God's dealing with Israel, has always been the sin of idolatry. It's, it's referred to many times. When you think about it, uh, it's it's actually very vulgarly referred to uh, in one sense because it's called uh, spiritual uh, uh, whoredom. It's it's called spiritual adultery. Uh, in one place you see there and you read in the scriptures where it actually says that uh, God watched the spiritual adultery. So you can, uh, if you're using your imagination there, you can see that God, nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. And he would see his people uh, literally as a, a bride or a husband cheating on, on their spouse. He would see that same thing. So that judgment, uh, that, that sin there had to bring judgment, and it, it always brought hard-heartedness. Um, they, they would always, the, the further away that they got into idolatry, the, the further and the harder their heart became for God. Even so, as we mentioned with, with Jeremiah's family, uh, how they had beaten him there. Um, we read many times, uh, one time he is cast into uh, a, a well type and, and left for dead, just uh, treated very, very badly um, because he was one of the only voices that would stand for the truth of God's word. So that would have been something that would have brought great opposition against him uh, from anybody who was outside of the will of God. Real quick, a, uh, I'm gonna give a just a suggested outline of the book. Uh, this is from uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee uh, from the book Briefing the Bible. And as, as I mentioned earlier, there's really no logical or chronological order to this book, uh, but uh, Chapter one talks about the call of, of Jeremiah, and uh, Brother Brandon mentioned that uh, very, very briefly about how Jeremiah, how he was called. He was just a, 
He was just a child. God had had uh, chosen him, and he tried to get away from that. And he was called during the reign of Josiah. Uh, when you get down to chapters 2 through 20, uh, these are the prophecies concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, this is prior to Zedekiah's reign. Uh, there's the, the twofold condemnation of Judah, uh, how Jehovah's rejected, how uh, they there was all that idolatry of the backsliding during Josiah. Um, there, there's warning. There's um, uh, Jeremiah. It's pretty much, it's so bad. I'll put it this way. It's so bad that Jeremiah was forbidden to marry. Uh, that's how bad it was. He could not take a wife uh, because they were so uh, wicked. Chapter 21 through 29 talks about Zedekiah's reign. Uh, chapter 30 through 39 is the prophecies of the future 12 tribes and Judah's near um, captivity. And this is where, and we're going to, I'm not going to get ahead of myself here. Um, and we're going to cover this. There's another question we're going to answer. Um, but this is when Jeremiah begins to prophesy about uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, which is the great tribulation. He also mentions something about the, the, the kingdom, the millennial reign. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Chapters 40 and 42 is the prophecies to the remnant and then um, prophecies during Jeremiah's last days in Egypt. That's 43 to 51. And there's some more, uh, there's some more things about the, the end times there. So this next question um, is from Simon from Botswana, Africa. And he's asking the question, how do we see Jeremiah in the light of uh, the New Testament dispensation? Uh, so let, let me say this um, before we get into it. Uh, there are actually eight dispensations, uh, Brother Brandon, and um, let's, let's talk about those just for a minute, and then we can look at them in the light of Jeremiah and his prophecy. All right, well, you have, as, as you said, I hold to, there's some that hold to uh, seven dispensations, some eight, some nine. I personally hold to eight myself, uh, eight being the number of revival or new beginnings, uh, ending with uh, uh, the kingdom age, but Looking at those dispensations, you have, um, I mean, just briefly touching on them, you have the dispensation or the age of innocence with Adam and Eve before the fall. Um, you have the age of uh, conscience after that, the age of human government. You go into um, the age of promise, the age of law. Uh, you come into uh, the age of grace, which is the period that we're in now. And then you would come into the seven-year tribulation, the, the um, tribulation period there, that age, the dispensation of judgment. And then afterward, you would step into the millennial kingdom, which would uh, enter on into eternity after that. So you'd have the dis uh, eight dispensations with that. The only one that I can see now, Jeremiah, again, is it's an interesting book uh, because like Ezekiel, it covers a very broad, broad span. Daniel does the same thing, goes all the way into not only the, the 70 year captivity, but the, uh, the final judgment period, that great tribulation time that uh, going into the kingdom age, uh, Ezekiel, or excuse me, Jeremiah even deals with. Uh, the regathering of Israel, um, again, the kingdom age, all those things that are still uh, future. And it's amazing that we see that because they were partially fulfilled. Um, the, the regathering of Israel, we know that um, under Cyrus, you had a, a group that went back. You, you have the book of Ezra, the book of, ne of Nehemiah, uh, that you have groups that went back, but it was only a very small remnant that went back. I think uh, off the top of my head, if I'm reading uh, Nehemiah, uh, it's, it said something along the lines of 50,000. Um, 
same thing is very true today. There are many who try and say that that regathering has been fulfilled uh, in 1948 with the um, the reestablishment of Israel as a nation, but uh, we know that can't be true because Israel has not yet turned to Christ. Zechariah 12 uh, and verse number 10 says, they'll look upon him whom they have pierced. They'll weep, they'll mourn, they'll recognize uh, the Lord Jesus Christ there, uh, but that won't come until after uh, the tribulation period, until after uh, they have first uh, falsely followed the Antichrist and then uh, recognized that he was, uh, recognized the judgment that come through him when he breaks the, the covenant with them. Uh, so again, those things are future. They're, they're yet to be uh, established. Um, so he does touch uh, briefly, uh, I shouldn't say, well, not necessarily briefly, but he does touch on some of the subjects of the New Testament uh, while missing out on others. The, the, the church age, uh, by most prophets, just about every prophet, is very much it missed. Isaiah touches on it very little, but the church age was a mystery. That was something that was uh, kept secret until the fulfillment of it, until the fulfillment of that time, the Gentiles being brought in. Again, it's touched on briefly uh, in the Old Testament, but never in great detail. Right, and you you know you had the the mountaintops of of prophecy there, and um, it, it was a mystery. And, and Jeremiah's prophecy, you know, it was concerning Israel, and um, nothing about the church. But as you said, there is a little bit about the tribulation in the kingdom. So. Um, talking a little bit about what you know you have the great tribulation which is in chapter number 30 and uh, that is referred to here as uh, the time of Jacob's trouble and that is after that's right now where we are as you mentioned we're in the church age we're in the the age of grace and we're we're preaching the gospel of grace right in the uh, tribulation that's when they're they're going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom because uh, the kingdom of heaven will be at hand. But right now, we don't preach the gospel of the kingdom. We preach the gospel of grace. Uh, we are um, in the church period. Uh, but when uh, the day of Christ happens, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to come back for his church. Uh, when you look at the book of Revelation, I don't want to get too far ahead into this, uh, but when you do look into the book of Revelation, the church is the center of attention in chapter number uh, one through chapter number of five but you notice the scenery changes from earth to heaven and what what that means is is that the the rapture happened the 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 day of christ so the time of jacob's trouble the the tribulation well the the great tribulation there um is a seven year period time and that's what chapter 30 is is referring to and uh that is from uh the book of revelation chapter number four onto the rest of the the book that mainly deals with the the tribulation uh, period, and they're the the judgments that are that are given out. And then very briefly in chapter number thirty three, Jeremiah talks about the millennial reign as well, and that is the time that after the the great tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, uh, when when you have the day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. We covered that a few podcasts ago. Uh, but that's when Jesus Christ, his foot will touch, uh, his thousand-year millennial reign will begin. That's when Satan uh, is, is bound in the bottomless pit. At the end there, uh, it'll be the battle of Gog and Magog and so forth. So I do want to spend a little bit of time here, and I know you mentioned you want to spend some time here as well, uh, talking about chapter 50 and 51 about the two Babylons. And this this is in with the, the tribulation. Uh, period. So he mentions the two Babylons in chapter 50 and 51 
and the historical Babylon and the future Babylon, those are your two. Uh, Babylon was built by Nimrod after the flood. Uh, the city of Babylon has always been associated with sin and rebellion against God. And the nation of Babylon was used by God to judge the Jews. And as you mentioned earlier, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he would carry them away captive. They destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. The Jews were held captive by Babylon for 70 years. Then eventually God would destroy it. Well, there's going to be another Babylon in the end times. And this Babylon will be the personification of all evil, rebellion of men throughout mankind's history. They will replace the word of God with human traditions. And this is that final Babylon uh, that will be destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what, what, are your, what are your comments on that, brother? Well, when you look at it, as you, as you mentioned before, Babylon has always been the seat of idolatry. Uh, you, you go back to the Tower of Babel, um, Nimrod there being the, um, the architect, so to speak, the chief architect trying to build that tower. Uh, it was not necessarily, as, as the wording would say, a tower that they were trying to reach the heavens with, but a tower that they were trying to uh, see the stars and, and to worship the, the heavens, the stars, and, and all that were in there. Uh, but Babel, uh, every time you see that, you see, uh, again, idolatry. You see the first mention of tongues found in that, uh, and it's the confusion of tongues, the confusing of languages. So it has always been a place of, of absolute rebellion. It's always been a place of, of sin. It's always had um, that distinction with it, as you mentioned there. And when you get into um, the book of Revelation and you look at uh, the second Babylon that's being brought there, there there's no difference as far as uh, the character and the makeup of it. It is still a place of, as you said, a, a, of absolute wickedness, of sin uh, that is running rampant. The judgments are brought down. There is absolute rebellion uh, against all that is uh, God or anything that mentions the name of God. So it's, like I said, it, it carries that that identity all the way through, uh, all the way back from uh, the early chapters of Genesis. I think off the top of my head, Genesis 9, 10, and 11 uh, it carries that all the way through. I believe Genesis 11 is the one that makes the, the mention of it. Um, but all the way through into the end of the book, uh, that, that same nature and that same characteristic uh, that defines it, again, the, the idolatry, the wickedness, and, and the, the absolute rebellion. And, and something to note on that, too, uh, about Israel in relation to, to Babylon. But after the destruction of both Babylons, Israel seeks after God. And that happened historically in Ezra chapter 1, and it'll, it'll happen again in Zechariah 13, verse number 9. Yes, yeah, so like I said, the, the final regathering of Israel when they recognize Christ. Uh, and it's one of the things that I love when you look at that, that um, Zechariah, both 12 and 13, you look at those chapters, it's a tremendous book. But one of the things I love there, it says um, Zechariah 12 and 10, as I mentioned earlier, the look upon him whom they have pierced. Uh, you look at the relation of that, um, Luke 24, for example, when you have the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize the glorified Christ. Uh, they walked with him. They talked with him the entire day. Uh, they compelled him to stay and eat with him. They did not recognize him until he had uh, blessed the meal. And they saw the, those, uh, the, the pierced hands. They saw that, that mark that Christ will carry for all of eternity. That, that mark there is, is the distinguishing mark. There. That mark is a mark of love. Uh, that he gave his life there for you and I, and he paid that penalty, not having to, but wanting to. And, and even in the midst of, of paying for that, he paid it for a rebellious people. He paid to restore Israel, uh, who is, has, uh, throughout the Old Testament, has a history of rebelling against God. He paid for, for fallen men when we talk about the age of grace. Um, 
and, and you think uh, and you look at the the study of true salvation it, it wasn't us that came looking for god it was it was him that came looking for us and he drew our hearts there what an amazing uh, amazing symbol uh, of the love of god and the grace of god those pierced hands there and, and something that is recognized both it's mentioned in the old testament and it'll be recognized uh, in the new testament to me that's that's just something that uh, it, it really is amazing when i think about it we would almost need a whole nother uh whole nother podcast to talk about that just absolutely talking about god looking for man we me and you were talking about this uh the other week uh, but you think go all the way back to to the garden and in one of the most misinterpreted verses and and we can don't get me wrong we can insinuate that this did happen but one of the most misinterpreted verses in the entire bible is that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. And that that's just simply not in the Bible. Now, did Adam walk with God? Maybe, right? I mean, we can't say that he didn't. But at that present time, he was not. And the reason he was not is because he was hiding from God, because he sinned. And sin had separated him from God. And the Bible tells us that God, was that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And what was he doing? He was searching for Adam. And that's exactly what salvation is. It was not Adam walking with God. Salvation is not us walking with God or Adam walking, looking for God. Adam was hiding. Adam was scared. Adam saw that he was naked and he was afraid. So God come looking for him. And it was a still small voice. And you look at that, it speaks of the depravity of man. Um, Again, we we turn from. Now, one of the things you and I have spoke about this before. And it would, this would take a whole nother, uh, you know, a whole nother uh, episode to, to deal with. But one of the things um, that I have preached from my pulpit, I believe with all my heart, and, and I, I believe you can back it up with scripture. We look at Adam and Eve, right? and you, you think about Adam and Eve. It, it must be noted that even before the fall, when Adam walked in innocence, you and I today as believers have a better standing than he had then. And the reason I can say that is this. Adam was innocent, but he was not righteous. Uh, we, we know that because he still had the ability to sin and to be separated from God. You and I today as Christians, not by our own works or our own merit, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ, you and I today are made righteous. And that means we, we're justified, legally speaking. That, that term justification is a legal term, and it speaks of a debt that is paid in full. Um, you and I today, through Christ and because we're in Christ, there is no separation. The Bible is very clear on that. Romans 8 and verse number 1, there is therefore now no condemnation uh, to them which are in Christ Jesus. We go over to, to verses 35 through 39, and it speaks to the fact that there's no separation. Uh, that standing that we have, it, it's, it's absolutely astounding to think about that fact that you and I today as Christians, because it is based on Christ's merit and on his work, are in better standings uh, than, uh, as I said before, even Adam and Eve in, the, in their innocence. That, that to me, I said there's another thing that is absolutely, um, I mean, it'll really grip you if you think about it. Absolutely, yes. Um, as he says in Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able to also save them to the uttermost. And, and you said that word justified there. That means uh, to render righteous. That means that God has declared us righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, brother, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here, but before we do, I, I definitely don't want to cut you short of any any thoughts that you have. Anything anything else on, on Jeremiah that's, that's on your heart or mind there? Um, let me point out one thing, and, and looking at the prophecies, there's, there's no way to cover all the prophecies that are in there, but one thing I want to uh, 
to touch on for just a minute. If you'll allow me to read just a couple of verses over in Jeremiah 42, I find this to be uh, an amazing thing there in verse, verses one through six. Then all the captains of the forces and, and jo, Johanan, the son of, of Kerad, and uh, Jezaniah, the son of, of Hoshaniah there, and all the people from the, the uh, least even unto the greatest came near and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this uh, remnant. For we are left but a few of many as thine eyes do behold, uh, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God. Uh, according to your words, it shall come to pass uh, that whatsoever thing uh, that, that the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Uh, then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not even according to all the things uh, for which the Lord thy God uh, shall send uh, thee unto us. This, this uh, prayer that they had come to, um, such, it, it almost sounds like you see repentance, but it, it's actually, it, you, you see it there, it's actually a, another step of rebellion for them. Their hearts were so hard, what they were saying uh, with their lips was not what they were saying with their heart. They came to, to Jeremiah and they said, pray for us. Uh, whatever God says we'll do. What they were hoping God would say was turn to Egypt for help. They, they were looking for a reason and, a, and a, a justification of their desire to go down to Egypt. Egypt in scripture is always a type of the world, uh, which uh, if you look in the book of Exodus, which Israel was called out of a, a picture of salvation, but they had a desire to go back uh, into Egypt there. And, and God said, no. Now, when God said no, uh, that they came there uh, and, and they were upset about the fact that God would not let them uh, go into to Egypt there. They were upset about it. And we see very quickly how empty their prayer was because just a, a couple chapters over in chapter number 44, uh, I, we look here and we see verse number 17. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of your own mouth to burn incense. All, all these things that they're, they're saying uh, that they would do to the Lord there. Uh, as for the, the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, uh, we will not hearken unto thee. Uh, verse number 16. There's the heart of Israel. Um, I see that there before their captivity. Um, the interpretation there obviously is Israel rebelling against uh, the word of God through the prophet Jeremiah. They go into captivity. But as far as application goes, uh, I believe we see that the same thing uh, applying today in the church age. We see many people that come to God with that mindset and they say, all right, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask as long as it fits within the criteria of what I want. Uh, but when it's outside of that, uh, that's a whole nother story. They're going to rebel. They're going to turn away from God and they're going to say, never mind. I don't even want to do it. So it, like I said, it's, it's an amazing thought to think of. They come to Jeremiah. No doubt this would have been something uh, that, that would have stirred the heart of Jeremiah when they first come and said, listen, whatever you tell us, uh, just, just pray for us. Whatever God says, we'll do it. But they found out he found out very quickly uh, that it was empty and it was, it was a very vain uh, prayer. Yeah. Just a lot of, just a lot of religion there. And, and that's the downfall to, to to any nation, right? I mean, you 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 start out with the the political anarchy, uh, you then see the moral awfulness, but it's always the 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 thing that always gets them is the the spiritual apostasy. And Absolutely. Just uh, just that religion there. Um, before we close, I, I want to recommend two books for for those who are listening, um, and uh, I'll let you if you have any that that come up come to mind. But two that I would recommend is Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet by H.A. Ironside. 
and the other uh, book is tremendous uh, G. Campbell Morgan studies in the prophecy of Jeremiah. So if you're if you're wanting to learn more about the book of Jeremiah, I would personally recommend those two books. Uh, Brother Brandon, I don't know if you have any more that you would recommend. Yes, sir. I have both of those. And, and uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he knows one of my favorites. Uh, I'd also recommend uh, the book of Jeremiah. It's a simple work, only, um, matter of fact, uh, only a little over 100 pages. It's, so it doesn't go into, de uh, into depth on everything. It just touches on things. Uh, but by a man uh, by the name of K. Owen White. Um, very good book there. Very uh, excellent overview of many of the prophecies and many of the um, uh, the results there. Many of the nations that were judged. Very good book to look at. Very good. Very good. Well, hey man, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. I think we did uh, for our first time. I think we did pretty pretty well. Well, I appreciate you inviting me. This is uh, this is Brother Dean Carmichael on behalf of uh, Doctor Brandon Dupont. Uh, you've been listening to Questions and Answers. Until the next time, uh, may the Lord bless you.